We haven't done this in a while, but let's start the show with a letter. Uh, here we go. This one is from Jody from Portland, Oregon. Hey, Alex, I'm a 16-year-old high school student here in Portland, and I just finished your book, Malroe and the Midnight Organ Fight, and I loved it. It's super fast to read, and it was also really funny. I gave it to my best friend, and she finished it in one night. Now her mom is reading it. <laughs> That's very cool, by the way. Just thought you should know that your book is getting around here in Oregon. P.S. Will there be a sequel? There better be, because I need more Malroe. Jody. Oh, Jody. Thank you. Great letter and uh, very kind comments. I'm so glad that everyone you know in Portland is enjoying the book. Um, that is very cool. Will there be a sequel? Of course there will. The whole plan with Malroe and Weston, who are kind of like my, my Watson and Holmes, um, was to put together a series of books with familiar characters. And those characters will get into weird exploits and solve crimes as they go. So yeah, 100%, there will be a sequel. I've committed to it. It's going to happen. So rest assured, that sequel is on its way. Okay? All right. Thanks, Jody. Great letter. And that letter reminds me that I need to uh, start writing that sequel. <laughs> I haven't written one word, not one word of it. But I've been thinking about it. And as we know, thinking about it counts, except for when you go to the bookstore and you say, where's the second Malroe book? And they go, oh, the author, from what I understand, is still thinking about it. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. today on the program, Doug McMillan. Let me tell you a little bit about the Connells and Doug McMillan. When I was 20, back in 1990, this guy showed up in one of my classes wearing a Connells Fun and Games t-shirt, and it blew my mind. Why? Well, because in those days, long before Facebook or Instagram, finding someone who was into a band that you were into that wasn't huge was kind of a big deal. The Connells had put out a couple records by that point. They'd been on MTV, and they'd played some pretty cool shows supporting some pretty cool bands, but they were still pretty much one of the best-kept secrets in college rock. Yeah, we called it college rock. Anyway, someone wearing a Connells t-shirt was very exciting, because the only people I knew who wore Connells t-shirts were the ones at Connells concerts. Outside of that, if you saw someone wearing a shirt of a band that you liked that not a lot of people knew about, well, that was kind of exotic. 
Since 1984, the Connells have been putting out some of the most compelling, riveting, and engaging pop music you'll ever hear. The North Carolina Outfit have put out nine albums, including One Simple Word, Boylan Heights, and their fabulous new one, Stedman's Wake. More on that in a minute. Now, by the mid-1990s, seeing someone with a Connells t-shirt, not so exotic, because the band broke through. With huge singles like Slackjawed and 7475, the latter being a massive international hit. Weird fact, the Connells opened several stadium shows for Death Leopard in Europe. Did that make a lot of sense? No, but it made them some well-deserved money, and it increased their visibility in a big way. Stedman's Wake is the Connells' first new album in 20 years, and they sound as vital as ever. The songs are crisp and clean, and they jangle mightily away with the kind of melodic perfection that's a hallmark of their sound. Stedman's Wake is a winning entry into a bulletproof discography, and it presents the Connells as a band that time simply can't touch. They sound as vital as ever. I love these guys. They've been a big part of my life for most of my life. And talking to Doug was a very cool thing because he's a top dude, and you're going to love him. So here we go. Me and Doug McMillan of the Connells, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I, I, I dropped out to go ride around in a van with my friends and play music. <laughs> it seemed like a this seemed like a more wife worthwhile venture, but um, but I it's a long story. But I promised my mom said, okay, well if it doesn't work out, you got to go back and get your degree. I was like, fine. And I, I was like, that's not going to happen. Anyways, twenty years later, guess who went back to college and it was, everything was online. It wasn't bad. It was just, it was actually very convenient and it made it a lot easier for me to, you know, slowly, <laughs> slowly graduate because all these even smaller schools in the state, everybody offered courses that were, that I couldn't find elsewhere because they were online. So it was cool. Uh, but I was the classic 50 year old, like freak out guy, took my first test. I was like, great, I did great. I submitted it, you know, right before midnight and it, and it came back blank. And, <laughs> and, I, and I started calling the instructor who's in her 20s, texting her. And then she, she actually said to me, it's okay, don't freak out, which was totally what I was doing. And she, she got me sorted out. And that was that first test. And I was like, I knew this was going to happen. Anyways. Well, I, I, I still think though, that we went to college too young. I think going, I think going Ooh. later is better. You know what? I, uh, I, I have to say that there's something to that, at least from my experience, because when I was 18, 19, whatever, um, first of all, I was on the swimming team. That takes up some time. Right. And then I have to have some kind of a social life. Right. <laughs> and uh, when I went back in 19, I, was, I think went back around 2000, very early 2000s, 
I was, I was, I was kicking ass. I was really doing well. I mean, I was, I, I was, I was surprised and I thought, well, no, you didn't do anything in the past. That's why you're doing well now, <laughs> you know? So it was cool, <laughs> but I did have, I had these, I had a German two class that haunted me like for a year, you know, for decades uh, um, that I finally, finally, you know, got through to get my degree. And that was a class that was in a classroom at NC state in Raleigh, North Carolina state. I drive to I drive to go to work. I used to work at a credit union for a while. Then I go to class, always late for class, <laughs> every day. And my instructor was German. He would say, "Why is it you're always late? You're older. You shouldn't." Have been. I was like, I, was, "I can't. I can't find parking." I kept telling him, "I can't find parking." So, but I think I think you're onto something. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are, on, are kind of get that, you know, because you know, I mean, it's sort of la la land when you're. <laughs> When you're yeah. 18 you know nobody's watching out for you so no including yourself and i think oh, no, i was definitely right? not looking that for myself yeah no yeah. and i think you know you and i so you swam i played tennis yeah. i thought about my only concerns were tennis practice and girls that sounds about right <laughs> that was yeah, it. yeah yeah did yeah. you guys um um practice just like a once a day thing or did you do stuff twice a day because we did get up there twice a day sometimes it was i get up at 5 30 in the morning and swim before class it's insanity yeah we did double practices i did two a days in tennis i didn't realize that yeah that's tough man oh gosh so yeah yeah you, you got to boil down your you, what, what you know your priorities when you got that kind of a lifestyle you probably can't see me i'm sorry about this i know it's okay you're good um yeah it's interesting but, but i do think that we we clearly did have discipline though because if you're doing two practices a day i right. mean you know there is there is there is something to the um having uh, major parameters and not a lot of time to do just to kind of mess around that made sense to me you know i mean was well, I, I figured it out more when i got older but um and like you know i don't yeah, swimming i don't know what is that swimmers but i mean the one the guys that i knew you know from around the state of north carolina who i got to be friends with everybody partied and then when i got to my college east carolina i mean we were wild and i think it has something to do with being underwater <laughs> a lot i don't know There's, we've all we all try to figure it out but who knows? Who knows? But yeah, so we were like, I was really put, I got mono my first semester. I mean, it was, new, and it, I pro, you know, later on, I was like, that wasn't shocking. You no, know? no, yeah. I, I have run across a lot of my students by October will say to me, like, I have mono. <laughs> yeah, that was when I got it. It's like right yeah. after Halloween or something. Right. Oh, yeah. it's awful. And, and, and I didn't feel that bad. I mean, at first, I felt horrible. And, and I think I was brought on by a, a, a lengthy, like a three-day weekend kind of thing. Sorry, I'm just trying to get together here. And uh, are you getting an echo from me? No, you're good. Okay, good. Because the other day we did one and the guy was getting an echo. I got on a laptop and it's fine. But anyways, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, you're just not, not sleeping enough. Oh, God. I mean, I and you know, if you're an athlete, and you're getting any assistance because of that, you can't, you know, just skate by. You gotta you have a certain amount of hours per semester and you gotta do fairly well. Yeah. <laughs> well enough to keep playing tennis or swim. Well, <laughs> were you a scholarship swimmer? 
Yeah, it, it was really strange. I, I turned out, I turned out that I was, um, there, you know, University of North Carolina has a very strong swimming program. North Carolina State has a very strong program. They, they recruited and still do heavily from like uh, prep schools in the Northeast and Pennsylvania, like really strong programs for swimming in that part of the world. And I mean, I, you know, um, I wasn't one of those guys. I did, I did well uh, in swimming, but um, uh, my old swimming coach as a kid, uh, as a teenager was, the, was, became the head coach at East Carolina. And next thing I know, they're offering me a full scholarship, which is real, even in 1981, that was unusual. I kind of felt guilty <laughs> because I was getting this, you know, full ride. And during the summer, my dad died. Oh. It was like this crazy blessing. You know, it was like, wow, okay. I mean, you know, nobody saw that coming. And he probably had some money tucked away, but it was just, it, it was something that my mom, it was really about my mom and she was really freaking out. You know, she, yeah, she should because it's a pretty shocking thing. So that was like, yeah, it was that. So yeah, um, of course, you know, once I got down to school, music that's when music really became a big part of my life because you know it was like a great distraction i had a lot i needed distractions in a big way back then so anyway yeah well Well, not much of a music scene at that school though you know your college radio stations some good college radio stations in in the triangle in in, uh, chapel hill and duke and in raleigh and nc state but they didn't even have one up and running down there in greenville so I was really frustrated because I'd found all this new music and then the you know, punk rock and oh you know if I saw anybody with like a jam t-shirt or the clash I would start talking to them because I'll be honest with you everything else was freaking lover boy it was it was coming out the windows of the dorms man and I'd already had my say about them and then they you know I was talking to somebody do you remember the replacements yeah of course I'm a big favorite of mine and Bill Sullivan was their manager tour manager and roadie for years i was texting with him today and he, we both went off on this lover boy tangent at the same time i mean i thought i was the only one who despised him as much as, as i you know, yeah he, he him and i had a good chat about mike reno anyways i don't want to trash talk anybody on your on your show so but no no yeah. no. it's i you know mike reno, <laughs> he was mike reno was one of the first people i'd ever i'd ever actually seen um, because MTV hit here in 81. I'm in oh, the Bay Area. So there's Mike Reno. And I just thought- He was like, everywhere. He's yeah. everywhere. And I, and I just, I couldn't believe that, that a man in tight red pants could be that confident. And, and a headband. <laughs> and a headband. Yeah. And then we were, him and Bill and I were talking about the lyrics. Today, everyone's watching to see what you will do. Everyone's looking at you. It was a total me generator. I mean, it was I didn't really pick up on that till a little later. I was like, holy shit, these guys were like really going for the for the narcissism or the I said the me generation. Bill said the I generation. <laughs> the I generation. <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. I think well, it came up because they're gonna play some show up in Minneapolis or up, up near the river up there soon. And I said, You need to go, Bill. He's like, Ugh. anyways. So. <laughs> well, I think one of the things about Mike Reno, which is really interesting, is that um, he has a pretty mighty voice, though. I was He's a great uh, singer. Great singer. Yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. And of course, you know, back in 1981, 82, 
ah, oh, I just hated it so much. I mean, like, and it's that whole thing of it was a sober exposure. It was every journey. Oh, you know, that's, I mean, uh, uh, oh, God, yeah. So, um, and I mean, even to the point of like, Loverboy, you guys stole the romantics of red leather suits. Come on, you know, that kind of stuff. In the last like 10 years, and this is this has happened, this happens to me frequently. These you know, certain songs or certain bands that I really did not like. And it had a lot to do with the punk, punk rock movement and just kind of getting those other guys out of the way. But also I just you know, I was I was looking at things from the wrong, I think from the wrong point of view as far as music goes. You know, I was like thinking about the production or just what what the lyrics are horrible. Man, there's a couple of songs. There's one song I want to cover. <laughs> I'm going to cover now. It's over. You remember that song? Of course, absolutely. You're gonna miss me. You know, it's great. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty cool song. You, I could, I would, you could never have uh, um, convinced me of that, and I never would have said that. You know, in any at any point during the mid to late '80s, I just like the fact that I can pre appreciate a song. I mean, there's you know there are songs that I hated from the get go that I heard on the radio, and it probably had more to do with the production, just the way it sounded, than the song. And that's one thing about being in a band that's so great is that you kind of get to you get. A, I personally got more of an open mind towards all kinds of music that I wouldn't have ordinarily didn't think I would enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I mean, it takes about forty years to really appreciate Loverboy. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like a fine wine. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's what um, is the term that people use for scotch? It's a, it's a, an acquired taste. An acquired taste, but there are some great <laughs> some great singles. That's why I liked you know bands like The Replacements and Husker oh. Du that they weren't pretty and they were and they were just sort of like scruffy and they oh. reminded me more of me than the other bands did. Man, that was a big part of why I when I, it was a big part of why I I think all of us thought like. We could do, I mean, look at them. You know, it was kind of like a look at them. And uh, uh, and the replacements, very much so. Um, they definitely were just guys in, in white t-shirts and, you know, sneakers or whatever. But so good. God, so, so good. good. I think I saw them. I want to say I saw, no, I saw them in Portland. I saw them in Portland like 1988. I saw them the show after the last time they played in Portland when they threw everything out, they threw the couch out the window and all those crazy stories about they used to have a problem playing their last shows in Portland and destroying <laughs> destroying things and not playing much of a concert. But uh, so I saw them, at, you know, I got to see them. The first time I saw them, they were it was it was so fascinating. I was so fascinated by what they were doing and what they weren't doing. I was like, golly, this is amazing. This is like a Dean Martin kind of thing. I didn't really get what's going on. I knew some of the songs, but I didn't understand. And I'd heard about them playing. But anyways, and then I got to see them a few times. We opened for them. We got to open for them on their last record. And they, you know, I mean, a lot of people were, weren't digging. It was, you know, everybody was kind of, I mean, everybody was sober. Let's face it. And uh, but but they still did stuff. They still like jump into the orchestra pit, you know, like they still it was pretty cool. But I'd seen all these other shows and I was like, yeah, they can't really they can't really fake that stuff. So it's uh, it should be not. I liked a lot of the songs in that last record, but uh, that was fun. But it was different. It was different from 19 if it was the 1986, you know. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, big time. I mean, 
you yeah. by the time you could, you were probably opening for them for the all shook down record right that's the record and i really and it, like a lot of songs yeah it's a good one and that would it have been fun and games for you that was probably a record called one simple word so it was one simple word so this, the one was stone cold yesterday so that right yeah. 90, 91 or so right yeah um, yeah yeah, I didn't know that you that did you did you meet Paul Westerberg? You must have chatted with him. Oh yeah, I, I've met him. I talked to him a couple of times. The um um you know the main thing was I could tell he's a little antsy. I mean, it's hard. I, it's one thing to quit drinking. It's another thing to go on the road <laughs> and quit drinking. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I felt bad. I felt bad, but but we chatted some, and, and then uh, um. And then let's see what happened. They uh, so we did like about two weeks with them up in the Northeast, and then they uh, a week or two maybe later after that they came and played a show in Raleigh. I don't even know who was playing with it. So I went to the show, and so uh, I don't want to make a long story of this, but um, I mean it was very clear that was this is you know this isn't a band that was breaking up. And uh, um, do you know you know you remember the song "Left of the Dial"? Oh yeah. Well, the the woman who everybody says that song is about was there, and I walked out. I was going to leave. They they were up in the dressing room, walking out, and there, there's Lynn. I was like, "Hey," she's like, "Doug, can you get in there?" I was like, "Yeah, come on." So we walked back upstairs, and I mean, I was really leaving, and and he and all the other guys were in like in some area drinking, and he was just kind of by himself, and and she came in, and he his eyes lit up, you know, because he they probably hadn't seen each other in forever. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to be. I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm driving. And I had to say something to him that I've always wanted to say to some fairly well-known rock person was, uh, you get yourself a real kicking outfit, a real, real kicking outfit there, buddy. That's a Nick, that was a Nick Lowe quote. So that was the last time I saw him. But uh, yeah, I was glad to be able to bring two friends together. That was kind of cool. That was kind of a cool moment. She's so cool, man. She was excited and she's a great singer and everything. So that's my big story about those guys. But uh, I mean, some of that stuff, some of that, like that, uh, come feel me tremble. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so good. And it's just like, and, and, and I get there. I know there's, there, there's a, a documentary is that the same title as the 40 no 40 i'm thinking about 46 minutes of your life i think did you ever listen to that no that i don't know okay i think it's called maybe it's 49 minutes of your life it's 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 solo it's like a grandpa boy whatever i don't know the same label that is one of the most amazing things i've heard in a long time i was i was shocked because it's just like one long song <laughs> i mean it's songs that ordinarily would have breaks between the songs but he just ran everything together and there's some covers Look it up, man. It's really, it's really, I at first didn't, I just thought it was going to be a mess. And, and I had a friend said, I can't believe you haven't listened to that. It's really cool. It's experimental, but, the, but you can hear the tunes, man, the, the, the lyric. It's like, it seems like it's unfinished songs, but I just think he ran everything into one, one yeah. big long song. So. He, he also seems to me like he, he might be done. Like he seems like he's pretty content to just sort of be in the shadow. I, get that, feeling. I yeah. get that feeling. You know, they did that reunion thing. And you know, man, you know what? I mean, I, I've been hearing for a while, for years, that they kept getting offers to do these shows, and I'm sure they were getting offered a lot of money, and they were like, "Nah." But I, and I hate, you know, some people don't like this, but I'm glad they got some money. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, God damn it, you know, if anybody deserves, you know, 
I mean, here's a song. Here, here's a guy writing songs uh, in this in, in any style imaginable genre you can think of. You know, it's, uh, it was you know, it's like here's you know, he writes these great middle eights. You know, it's like it's not it's not modern pop or rock songwriting you know he he comes from a different era so he just studied it i suppose but anyways yeah that was really cool and then i like the way he just said they just kind of stopped so that was good yeah just cut but, it do you remember yeah. remember i don't know if you remember when cmj was a real trade publication I remember it very a, well yeah remember when it was a long thin one that you have to like the pages were it wasn't like a perfectly bound thing it was like a long oh, yeah yeah right yeah like a like a, like a poster Exactly. You <laughs> yeah, just moved yeah. the pages, but it was not, there was no perfect bound spine, nothing like no. that. Those were the and, good old days. Huh? Those were the good old days. And they reviewed, uh, they reviewed Tim and they always would say recommended tracks. And it said, Tim recommended tracks all. Oh, there you go. There you go. I love the one word um, review. Yeah. Right. All of them. All of them. I mean, it's true. There's not a clinker on there, man. Like, you know, it really isn't. Um, what was that famous? Uh, I think it was J.D. Considine. I was actually talking to a buddy of mine who's a kind of a metal guy the other day. And I was asking if you remember the band called GTR. GTR, when the heart rules the mind. Guitar slingers all the way through, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, I think he maybe had heard of him, but I told him about the, the review was GTR. The, this album was GTR and the review was SHT. <laughs> <laughs> like musician magazine <laughs> and that was it it's a famous review i never listened i should probably listen to it but he couldn't help himself you know i mean that thing fell on his desk he was like <laughs> yeah you guys kidding me <laughs> i love this? all all tracks yeah all tracks all the yeah. that was where i actually first learned about your band was in i was doing high school radio and i learned about the kind of room in seattle uh in san francisco oh wow yeah and so that was where I, I, I learned about uh, Boylan Heights was that was in that, in the CMJ, the long form CMJ. Oh, so. right. Okay. Right. I, that's right. Yes. I remember that very well now because we played, we played, um, you know, they, it's, it's like the dog and pony show, but it, I'm glad we did it. We had to play uh, maybe a couple of songs to some breakfast thing. Like you know, classic music business. Like, well, we know we have a show that'll end at three a.m. tonight, but we want you to play this tomorrow morning at seven. God, <laughs> and I stayed up. I mean, I didn't stay up. I didn't get like wasted. I was just kind of like buzzing. But like, I'm like, there's no point in me going to sleep because I got to sing at seven a.m. You know? Oh, that's so funny that 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 you were around then. So what's you what's uh, college station was it? So it's funny, we, we were in just in the Bay Area outside of Berkeley, a little town called Concord. Yeah. And we, that our high school had a metal radio station. And See, we that's like the, that, that's the, the NC State, sorry, the NC State um, college station was, was thrash metal. Ah, okay. So yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's interesting. So go ahead. So you, well, did you guys change I mean, the, Bay the Area, format? We had, the Bay Area had a huge metal scene. And so there was like, sure. all these metalheads out here. So we would sneak the Connells and the Smiths into, oh, cool. <laughs> into the format. And we were like, you know, we're, we're teenagers and we're getting like, calls threatening. We're going to come down there and kick your ass if you don't play Venom. 
Oh, God, some guy heard the sun shines out of our behinds, and he went nuts. <laughs> they do get angry. I have, I have a bit of, 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 of several friends who are fans of metal and play. Do you know the, are you familiar with a band called COC, Corrosion of Conformity? Of course, they're classic. Yeah. They're from Raleigh. Oh, I forgot that they're from Raleigh. That's right. Raleigh. Those guys are responsible for a lot of people winding up in raleigh because they you know you had you had you had a minor threat and everything that was going on in dc and then and if you keep going south the next like really healthy you know, punk rock hardcore scene was was raleigh and um yeah wow i mean i could go on and on about that because i still play music with a with a guy who was a big part of that scene he's you know as so many people did um, he went from, you know, playing that, that, you know, playing punk rock to eventually like him and I going and doing like two, like him and I doing acoustic sets of like Bob Dylan and um, um, uh, what did we do? Um, Motel Blues, Loud and Wainwright song, like that oh, kind of stuff. Yeah. Like that, I just love that progression of so many people I know who started off just, you know, thrashing it out and, it's cool man it's kind of like you know when people found dylan it was like oh okay <laughs> because he was very punk rock as far as i'm concerned yeah you know? of course in terms of spirit you know? yeah and in terms of yeah. disruption and playing electric guitar and saying the hell with you you know exactly when when people were expecting something else did bands like super chunk do anything for you did they super chunk yeah super i mean i think uh, my, my first reaction to, or a lot of people's reaction to Superchunk and, and Mac's songwriting was it was like it's kind of like the Buzzcocks because it's it had it was melodic I mean, they were so so tight and fast and you know and they still play around um and the guy I was just telling you about who was my old roommate who was initially he was in a band called No Labels and then he's the guy who we still play some music and he got into more Americana, whatever they call it, I don't know. Anyways, um, he was friends from Matt. He has all these friends from that network. Mm -hmm. The network of hardcore bands touring through this country, throughout this country back then, is amazing. I mean, like Dave Grohl knows the guys in CSC know, you know what I mean? Like there's, it's all, cause he was from Virginia and played, anyways. And so I remember the day I met Mac, he came, I don't know, he's, he maybe coming from Florida. And he had like, not really dreads, but he had like, you know, like, you know, he figured out a way to not wash his hair and it looked pretty cool. <laughs> you know? And uh, and he, Ricky's like, this is my friend, Mac. I was like, hey, man, you know, and he, then he was around, had a couple of bands, but Super Chunk, man, they, boy, did people go crazy for them. And they should have, because they were, they would just top up and down and it was just energy. So good. Anyways. Yeah, I love that about these bands. <laughs> no, I, lo I love them. And I, I know punk rock did a lot for you, but so it sounds like metal missed you. It sounds like you didn't really. Well, it's funny you should say that because, um, again, like I was, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what in San Francisco is a very different cultural mecca than Raleigh. <laughs> and um, radio stations around here, I mean, I grew up with AM, you know, uh, pop, paper lace. Uh, you know the night Chicago all the, I love all those hits because they are good songs and then AOR radio so then I got to get into all the stuff that those guys played and then my best friend who was actually the original drummer for the Connells lived in Holland for for I guess in junior high school 
for a couple of years and he came back and he came back with these Roxy music records. So this oh. is like 78. This is a little, we were a little behind, but he was so into Roxy music. And I was like, wow, what? And we actually, I actually had, you're going to love this, had a radio station at Carroll Junior High School. And get the I'd go get I'd go to I'd go, first of all the fact that I got up and went to school early is shocking but that's how much I was, you know I was into music. I'd go to the library and get one of those record those library record players with like the the materials you know you remember those they were kind of like beige colored just old crap oh yeah you know what I'm talking about now yeah almost a close and play kind of thing and then I and I and I go into where the principal would do the morning announcements and play records. You know, Steve Miller, Cream. I had grabbed some of my brother, older brother's records, Cream. You know, it was all over the place. Uh, whatever I could find, and and take the microphone and jam it up next to the speaker. It was it was like you know clearly I wanted to do something, some kind of performing at an early age. And, and my buddy got back from Holland during the last week of school. He came in and I said, come in and bring those Roxy music records. And he came in and started playing one of the, I think in Every Dream Home of Heartache, which is a, actually kind of a, it was the first time I heard that song. It scared me. Uh, and he put that on. And you know how, how the switchboard lights up? All the switchboards at the classroom <laughs> lit up because they wanted us to turn it off. Right. That's it was yes. a great reaction, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I that's what I dealt with. Sounds like what you did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we would play we would play the Connells when we were supposed to be playing Accept. And yeah, uh, who, who I don't I don't mind. I like some of their songs, but yeah, I'm glad you played us. It's good. Yeah. 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 And it was a big risk because we were pretty accessible because we're on this high school campus where people really could find us. Did you um, oh no, they know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> they where, and they know where you live. They knew, and they said, we're going to come down there and kick your ass, and we're like, well, the Connells are worth it. Yeah, well, I'll tell them I'll, if I show up, they're dead. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, but it was interesting, you know, but yes, yeah, so it was, so that was the whole thing was the high school radio station is where yeah. we got these trade publications, and I learned about so all cool. these bands, you know. Um, I now, never, who are you doing this with? What's that? Who was who was in cahoots with you uh, at, at that station on, on the radio station? I'm trying Anybody to from your band? No, no. I mean, that I was, was later. You guys got together later, I guess. I mean, I was never in a band, but I but I was in. I'm just a music term, just a music. I term thought Amber, uh, Amber's was a. a oh, stereo. Yeah, so Stereo Embers is a band out of Seattle that my friend is the singer of. I gave him the name of. Is that right? Yeah. So, so oh. stereo, yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. So, Stereo Embers is the name of a poem in my second book. I gave him the name oh, really? for his band. That's the great right? title of anything. I love that title so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Thank you. And yeah. then um, we started the magazine and then the podcast. And I was like, I got to borrow yeah. the name again, man. And he was okay. He was okay with it. But uh, you guys were so freaking multimedia before anybody was. It sounds like that's great, really cool. Yeah, it's it's fun, and I it I, is I, fun. I, cool. It is, yeah. it is. I remember when I first saw you. I mean, I was like, I knew I could tell you were an athlete because you. When I saw those early Connell's videos, like you have the bearing of a, of an athlete, right? Like it was obvious. I have the physique. <laughs> <laughs> but back in like 80 imagine like you had just come off the swim team really and um, well, i used to look like that I, I i was a little more uh healthy looking back then i appreciate you saying that but <laughs> it didn't take long for the road to ruin that but <laughs> I, I, I always people used to laugh at me because i have like popeye calves 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I, ones, I'm know. a tennis player, so I can relate well, to that. Um, and one arm's bigger than the other, right? I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it where did you see us? Where did, did you see us play or you saw the video? I, I had seen the video because I was too young to see you guys. So, because uh, I was only, I was 15 and 85 and 16 and 86. So, I just okay, like so when you guys were starting to. I was just about 10 years years older than you then. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And I was, you know, it's funny you mentioned going from being a collegiate athlete to being in a van with your friends. How, oh how was that in terms of, because you were running a pretty healthy lifestyle with practice. Oh, yeah. yeah. How, how was that in terms of contrast of lifestyle? Yeah, that's a good question. I've thought about that a lot too. You know, um, well, one thing about swimming that, that occurred early on, it wasn't like touring, but I used to, we, my parents would, you know, we'd go to swim meets out, out of town on a lot of weekends i was used to going to places and and then in, in college when we swam we rode around in a van right <laughs> and um um I, I i you know to this day if i can find uh, i mean we, have, we haven't been on any kind of like real tour for for 20 over 20 years but like if i could you know i'd be like is that is there a hotel with a pool you know that kind of stuff i try to find because it's so good for you, for the singing part and just makes you feel better but I would go like, you know, you go into these clubs at Soundcheck, nobody's there. I'd go up into like the balcony and do push-ups. I wouldn't want anybody to see me. <laughs> I'm not into like public exercise. I like to, you know, be in the water. <laughs> it's a private thing, but but playing music is is cathartic, but also it's, you know, you, know, you, you sweat your ass off, man. You yeah. know, it's hot. Uh, I want to tell you about the metal thing real quick, because I think you'll like this, because this is around the same time when I went to college, um, I was excited. I thought I was gonna, gonna find a lot more people like me who were into the same kind of music. And I had to, I had to look a little harder than, <laughs> than, uh, than I thought, but I got turned on to music that I ordinarily would not have listened to. I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I, I knew some Neil Young songs from the radio at age 18. And when I got to uh, East Carolina, there was a bunch of guys who were, we call them the ex-swimmers. They were they had like formed a mutiny and all quit the swim team at the same time the previous year before I got there. And I thought, oh, these guys are cool. I'm gonna hang out with these guys, you know. And so I got man. I mean, they turned me on to like. I mean, this one guy. We just sat down one night and listened to the first the first Neil Young album, which is called Neil Young. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's just acoustic. It's probably more Dylan-ish than anything. And it was like, wow, I had never heard this. It was, you know, it's, I, that's when I was sort of realizing how, how versatile Neil was with what he's going to play. Um, and, 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 and anytime I tried to play my music for my swim team buddies, they were, they were okay for about a song. <laughs> and they would just be like, turn this shit off. <laughs> and and, um, and I, I would kind of bitch about their stuff. But I tell you what, man one of my buddies turned me on to judas priest point of entry those songs there were that that album swings the drummer swings it's not it's not you know it's not that onslaught it's rocking it's just rock and roll man there's some re i really want to cover one of those songs man on that on that record and you know i i in ozzy of course black sabbath you know all that stuff and there was some, you know, there's some stuff that was just unbearable. But I'd even go to see the like the the metal cover bands in the, the club downtown in Greenville, because it was like, what else am I going to do? Not, I mean, I'm not going to boycott. And I, I, you know, you can find I, 
the first thing I realized is like all these guys who play this music are really good. I mean, yeah. for what it's worth, you know. But I like songs, so I, I mean, find you know realizing that uh, um, um, there's good songs on some Judas Priest records, and then and then I remember Mike Connell and I discussing Def Leppard. This is right right before they became ultra huge, but he's like, man, those guys are like playing glam rock style song. They're really good, and I was like, you really, really? like so we like it seems like all of us at, we were kind of becoming less critical of stuff that we would ordinarily would just blow off you know you just say that's a good break that's a good melody you know there's something to that so i like being able to not brush something off just because it sounds like you know um mutt lang was involved yeah well he was involved <laughs> with a lot of that stuff but i know he was that definitely the, involved with Def leopard oh, and he yeah six million vocal tracks later <laughs> I know, I know, but that high and dry record and even Pyromania, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some great songs on there. They got a lot of crap too, because you know, they're in that 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 British the, that British metal uh period, um, that early set mid, I guess it was mid 70s. You know, that stuff was pretty tough, but um Iron Maiden, I definitely have recently come around to some of them Iron Maiden songs. And having seen a document a documentary will definitely change my mind. <laughs> out of band yeah you see what they went through you know but yeah anyway so um um so i'm glad i got instead of just immersing myself in a specific type of music only for a few years i i, I was you know hearing all kinds of stuff that i ordinarily would not have i certainly wouldn't have gone made an effort to listen to and uh man boy am i glad i did that because it's good stuff there's yeah, a, great stuff. Record, a reactor the neil young and crazy horse record reactor yeah okay that's a that's a that's a, like a punk rock record you it's know? a beast like, yeah the, what was the song ain't got no t-bone got mashed potatoes <laughs> <laughs> and then trans came out and i remember sitting around with those older guys the ex swimmer guys and listening to this record trans and they were just kind of everybody's just <laughs> looking at each other and then one of the guys looks at me and is like what the hell's going on he's like what's this because they just figured it was you know it was my fault people yeah, like right. me, you know but you know he made that voice um vocoder whatever that thing was it was something he was developing for his son did you ever read about that no, I his, I did, yeah i did not know that we get to open for him once in, in at the walnut creek amphitheater here in raleigh and it was it wasn't Booker T and the MGs. It was Neil Young and the MGs. Booker T was uh, was not well. Do you? I don't know if you recall that tour, but like, wow, talk about a guy who can do anything. Anything. It was like, and we got to open for him. It's like shit, yeah, man. Oh. Did you um, did you interact with him at all? Well, I try. I didn't really. Kind of funny about that. I don't want to bug anybody, but I want to meet some people, and you know, just to do it. And I remember thinking he was in the dressing room next to us and i got up on a chair to look in like through the vent and i think one of his kids was in there and nobody else and it was not his dressing room so i was like i'm not gonna do that anymore yeah 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 it's yeah. it's interesting to hear that you that you had trouble finding your people so easily in college because i would think because remember back when we were in college it was more tribal so it would be you could right. look right you could look at somebody and you knew that they had the same records as you yeah that was what i would do i would find people but from their hair or their yeah. whatever this is 1982 1981 one great thing about ec was that um 
a really good art school. And that's where I found people was in the art department. I mean, because I could just tell by the way they looked and what they were doing. And, um, and, and I remember I, I decided for an elective, I was going to take a course called, the, it had nothing to do with what I was trying to do in school. Of course, all I was doing was swimming. <laughs> but um, the philosophy of art was the name of the class. And, and, and which I just thought was, that sounds interesting. And it was basically the guy was really cool. He taught it and he was discussing different perspectives, whether it's from where you stand to look at a painting or your, or your mind, your, 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 the state of your mind, whatever. And that was, I, that really, that really turned me on. Meanwhile, all the other people in the class who were art majors were so pissed off <laughs> that they had to take this class. And they were like, oh, are you an art major? I was like, no, nah, I just wanted to take this class. They're like, <laughs> they just thought I was insane. Pretty funny. He said, he talked about like, if you look at a painting on LSD, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, yeah. This is, I want to stay in this class. When you, when you found that you were, cause I mean, you and I, obviously being collegiate athletes, we put a lot of work in to get to that point. Yeah, you hope to. You want to do that. right. I wanted to be the guy who could look at his parents and say, "I'm going to pay for college." You know, right? It was a big part of my thing. You know, yeah. That was the thing. And so yeah. when you left, and you, it's weird because it, being an athlete, especially when you're young and you've been training so much, did you feel an absence? Like, in other words, you were on the road. I'm not training. I'm not being in shape. No, of just of like suddenly like you, there was no practice. Suddenly you oh. didn't, right? Like the thing yeah. that you were supposed to be doing, you suddenly weren't doing anymore. Was that weird? Well, at first I loved it, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we would get up at five o'clock. I mean, literally. I mean, there was a couple of times. I was one night I was hanging out with these guys who were not swimmers or really music people. They're just guys I met and hung out with. And we were hanging and we were partying, you know, and I, and I looked and I said, hey, man, what time is it? And the, one of the guys, it's almost five. And I said, oh, shit, I've got my first collegiate morning practice in like half an hour. I just went to swim <laughs> practice. <laughs> insane. Totally insane. But um, yeah, eventually I did. I do. I did. And I still do. I mean, if I can, this past two, whatever, two years now has it been? How long this freaking pandemic has been going on? There's nowhere to swim. You mm. can swim anywhere. And I'm not like one, I'm not like a runner or, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been spoiled because I had swimming, my thing to do. So yeah, to an extent I did. And also there's, you know, you get into a state um, when, uh, when you're swimming, where you kind of lose, you lose um, peripheral. I don't know what the, what the, what I'm look, the word I'm looking for, but you, you find a rhythm, especially if you swing like a, a practice where you swing a, long, a lot of laps. Well, I really enjoyed being able to just sort of like empty, you know, empty out the head a little bit, and and and, and being underwater can do that. I mean, I'm sure you get the you get the same sensation in in a in a, in a, uh, a tight, uh, intense, uh, competitive tennis match. You know, yeah. where you're just, it's so much focus, and it's not forced focus. You just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's that's so cool that I don't run into people like you that often. I'm so glad I had to talk to you about this. Oh yeah. Did you play for four years? You play all four years? I did. You can see my racket stringing machine behind me. Oh, that, um, is that what that is? I yeah. Maybe you're making guitars. No, I'm <laughs> no, tennis kidding. rackets. Um, yeah. yeah, I did play. And, and it was interesting because even you become, you know, when you play tennis or when you swim, 
it's you. You're in your own yeah. head, right? Yeah, yeah. That's and a big. So, that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. That's a big part of it. So suddenly you're part of a democracy of a band, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that must have been kind of weird. Yo, yeah, yeah. Uh, democracy is a good word because it was very. It was very much that. Um, uh, I'll give you a, a. I had a moment. It wasn't an epiphany, but it was kind of like that, where I realized, oh, oh, I was like, I don't know if I can say curse words on your program. You can, you can. I said, oh, shit. We, you know, we had been at it for a while, but mostly doing long weekends. Right around the time I quit college and, you know, had that chat with my mom. And we were were playing. I mean, we, when we started playing, I mean, we, we were, I mean, I was horrible. And everybody else was pretty good. And our drummer Peel was a, was this probably still one of the best drummers around here. Um, but that's the only way to, to figure it out. In my mind, the only way to figure out that particular um, uh, life, life or goal or career, whatever you want to call it, job, is to go do it. I, I mean, I remember thinking, like, we can sit here and practice all day, but we're not going to learn a thing until we play. So eventually we did, we got into, a, we, we, got, we had a, a, like a month long tour book. Now that was a long time for us. And it turns out that that, that was always a long time for us because that's when the wheels started coming off the apple cart right towards the end of the month. We weren't like road dogs, like a lot of bands. We, we did it, but somebody was going to, there was going to be some punches thrown if we didn't watch it. So um, but anyways, remember the first day we're driving due west, I don't even know where we're going. And we had a cooler, we had like, you know, milk and we had two cans of tuna and blah 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 and you know somebody said let's make some tuna because people are getting hungry and one of the guys was really adamant about putting relish in the tuna i guess he grew up that way i guess he grew up with putting relish and man the argument that ensued regarding the <laughs> the relish in the tuna was was because this the, this guy had grown up with the brothers so they'd probably had these arguments before on the basketball court. And I was like, oh my God, is this, is this what this is? <laughs> <laughs> and Mike and David, I mean, you know, they, admittedly, they, they, they would go after each other fairly often, fairly often. And it's then, um, then, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, well, I'm in a band with Oasis. <laughs> 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 I mean, they weren't that bad but uh um but yeah yeah uh, um sw- swimming is a weird sport in that yeah it's a team's you have a team but when you're competing it's just you you know you. You're yeah. in your own lane you know and you don't want to think you know they really they really stress the you know don't look at don't try to look at the guy next to you don't think about it. just think about you know your time or whatever which i enjoyed and you know in tennis you have your opponent you know, it's just that's one it. or more, except for doubles. But yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, I never really thought about that until right now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And there's a rhythm to what you're doing. And I, and I would think yes. like suddenly in a band, you know, you, you have to take, someone has to give you a note of criticism or. Oh, you know, yeah, I got plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you, how are, I mean, were you good at taking notes and are you better now? Um, I'm better now. Um, here's the cool thing that I didn't really understand until later. You know, Mike, um, I mean, Mike's a songwriter. You know, I mean, we can go on and on about what songwriters are, but like, he's got a body of work. That's a songwriter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I could write a song, but I write a few. I, just, I generally don't think they're very good, but he's, he figured it out. And, um, 
and he would he would focus on me a lot like no no that's not the melody you got to do and you know i mean i think some of the guys thought he was picking on me and i was frankly not not really technically a singer as of yet so i would go along with it but every once in a while i'd be like god damn it (laughs) give me a break you know but 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 then um as time went on um I started trying, you know, writing some songs and then and had a couple recorded. And when I, when I saw that the thing in your head doesn't always make it onto the record, I think it rarely does actually. Um, my, my, my appreciation for what he does and what he did uh, made me back off on any like getting you know subconscious or anxious about it because i'm like this i know what this guy's been through he's had to hear songs he's written sound a good bit different than (laughs) than probably what he wanted to sound like but you kind of have to let some things go because it's a band there's five four or five people you know so uh it could get pretty you know you know i mean if somebody's playing a guitar part that doesn't work it doesn't work you know (laughs) right (laughs) And he'll and that and that person will sit there and tell you it does because it's my you know they don't say it's mine but it's it's about that you know self worth and all that jazz um, but yeah that's a good question uh, uh, it, um, I remember one of the guys said man he's just giving you a hard time I'm like well you're right but I think I know what he wants I think I know why you know I just can't take it personally so yeah it's interesting I showed up at Stedman's wake. Call it my first mistake Pedal the stuff for pain Now it's a steady
I showed up in Charlottesville You make of it what you will When did you know that you could actually sing? I mean, <laughs> that's a, I've heard that question. <laughs> I didn't. I guess. But my friend was playing drums. The guy who went to Holland with the Roxy Music, who came back with, with the Roxy Music records, John Schultz. And we used to talk about being in a band, not very seriously. And then he told me about these two brothers he'd been playing with in Chapel Hill. And they didn't have a singer. Um, and uh, uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I yeah, I was one of the, like like so many people. I'd hear a record, like listen to a record or something that's playing, and, and hope hopefully not bothering anyone else, but just sort of singing along, thinking ah, I can do that. And and I think I, I I I think they auditioned a few people, and I mean, one guy they had, I was there when they were when they rehearsed. They didn't know who I was. I mean, John didn't really like. He wasn't really too into the idea of me trying to join the group. My buddy is, <laughs> to, be honest, to be honest with you, I think he said, why do you think you can do this? <laughs> and I have an older brother who played guitar and sang. It had something to do with it. And, you know, I think a lot of people who pick up an instrument or sing just want to do it, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I was, I, I, I was horrible. And um, um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it took, you know what it was? It took enough uh, touring, just enough gigs under, under our belts for me to start realizing, okay, I can, I, now I know, I know a little more about this. And, you know, when, I mean, there's a, there's a, it goes, it kind of goes back to the swimming thing. It's like, you know, you get to like the third verse and you, know, you just kind of, you don't want to like blow your wad until the end, you know, like that kind of stuff. But yeah. There's, there's a, there's a stamina and, and there's pacing yourself is what I was trying to say. And uh, there, I was, and it's funny, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking there's a lot of things from swimming that made their way into pacing yourself and trying to just keep a steady whether it's during a set or like um, you know I got it three more days three more nights of shows until we have a, a day off it doesn't sound like a hard job you up there and sing for an hour 
but it's all, you know, you hear it's a cliche. It's all the other hours in the day that are a pain in the ass. <laughs> so, anyways, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's, that's, that, that, it's something that was on my mind a lot back then. Yeah, no, you did. And, and I also think when your friend said to you, what makes you think you can do this? I do think, uh, I know I keep coming back to this, but I do think uh, that athletes have a confidence about I that. I think you're right. I think that you're right, and I and I never I, I never really thought about that um, at any point really until the, maybe the last ten years. So mm. all those years before that, I just figured I had this idea in my head that I could do what we were doing because I was young. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just try stuff. You know, the ironic thing about my buddy playing drums is that um, he left. It was one of those weird band meetings where after the band meeting was over, I didn't know what was going on. He didn't, he wasn't really, he was slowing down a little bit here. Now, let's just say that. And um, I've never really had lengthy discussions with him about it. But so that was a weird thing for me as my best friend who was in my band and now he's gone. But at that time, this is like 1984. And at that time, Oh man, I thought, well, that, that clearly means they didn't want to get rid of both of us. I just assumed that was what was going on. And then about, and he went, then he traveled over to, overseas with his uh, girlfriend. We used, to, we used to, we practiced every morning in his, every day in his parents' basement. I mean, you know, and um, one day Mike called me, you know, a few months later, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He goes, can you come over here? I was like, yeah, into the garage, to their garage. And I was like, yeah. And I walk in and there's this guy behind the drum kit and I looked familiar and it was Peel, Peel Wimberley, who has, who played in a few bands uh, in Raleigh and is wickedly good. I mean, he was one of those guys who could play really fast because they played in that sort of a, sort of a humorous punk rock band. If you, if it's, uh, Johnny Quest was the name of the band and they were really good, really tight. And uh, so we played a couple of the songs and I mean, boy we got to like the second verse or the chorus and i was like looking at mike going holy shit and they had already been he'd already been through that realization before i got there so that's that's when we didn't start over but we just kind of jumped back on the horse it was and i think david's quote was like mike's been writing these songs for a long time and, and this is maybe his last chance to do something with him so and if you want to come along i was like man yeah, I'll deal with my friend. And, and we, you know, I talk, I text with John every day almost still. Okay. Just, yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you about that. I was yeah, gonna, I talk to him if he talks to me anymore, right? Yeah, I was going to say, because, because, you know, it's teed up for him not to talk to you anymore. I, I yeah. That's what you're going to say. He wasn't super friendly to Mike. Let's just say that, but they got over it. You know, time, what is it? Time, time wounds all heals. No, time heals all wounds. Yeah. Uh, but, um, um he went on to become a film director huh. and actually made a film in an independent film in, in raleigh in 1995 or six and i was in it went to sundance film festival so it, it worked out you know it took a long time but it eventually worked out and uh and sometimes at christmas we get together and, and a third guy and we just play and, and there's no hard feelings because he yeah. found his thing he found his real thing so it's cool it's good in terms of people who who were in the fold, are you still in touch with George? Is that is yeah? I don't get to see him as much as I as I used to. Obviously, he you know one of the things going on with him was that you know we had we hit that kind of yeah it's that inevitable postponing the inevitable 
of, uh, you know, you want to keep doing music, but, you know, the, come home from a couple of weeks tour and it's like, where's the rest of the money? <laughs> right. <laughs> less people showing up. There was a lot of things going on, but like, um, so we didn't break up. We didn't stop. We just didn't, you know, people, I mean, at that time people were getting married and our keyboard player, Steve had a young, I just had his wife. had just had a, a, a baby, a daughter. And I remember going on a, maybe a four day weekend trip and him and I were sitting in like the waffle house late one night and, he was like, man, I can't believe I'm away from home and, and I have an infinite home. And I never experienced that. And I, and I was like, oh, dude, I'm, I could tell it was hurting him. He felt bad. He felt guilty. And he also was a little bit bummed out about it. And so, but then eventually everybody started doing the same sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about it. We have this new record. You know, we made a record 20 years ago, um, which was really fun to make. And it was also basically made on four track with a guy, with a guy that, uh, a, a guy named John Heems, who used to play in Let's Active and played in a band called Motorcaster, a, 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 a prodigy if there ever was one musically. But those songs on that record are some really good songs, I think, but it was only released, it was right before streaming really kind of became the, the thing or a thing. And I think we maybe just released it on our own, which was we didn't we didn't know how to release a record you take it to the gigs you know sell that gig just on cd no vinyl no you know nothing so um there's three or four songs on this new album that were initially recorded on that on that record it's called old school dropouts and they're good songs they're mike songs and uh you know i mean i, I go I'm, this goes back to the he had an idea in his head about the way a certain song these songs should sound and it didn't to no one's fault it just didn't happen because maybe because of the four track whatever man i'm so glad we did that because there's some good songs there. and they just they got the right attention and the right um uh, uh production i guess is the word i'm looking for so yeah it's cool you know well i mean it's interesting because you know you know what it feels like to have a record in the can ready to go it's a familiar feeling but yeah. you haven't done it, done it in so long. So now you have a familiar feeling about a familiar feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a third one in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, man, it's funny you should say that because we, let's see. I mean, we were talking to a guy the other night, the three of us. We I, here, talk about something new, Zoom interviews. Wow. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I usually would talk to people on the phone or go, or get in a cab after sound check and go to the radio station. And uh, anyway, so we were talking about that very thing. And um, I mean, we we started doing the math talking to this guy, and we said, "Oh God, that was we started this thing four or five years ago. We just doing it sessions, you know, like three days here, three days there." But the but the thing started uh, at Mitch Easter's studio called the Fidelatorium. It's in Kernersville. Now you know he used to have the drive-in. Right. Salem. And of course, you know, we wanted to go there for a zillion different reasons. Um, and uh, but mainly, I think, because of Mitch, because you just heard about him, you know, and boy, what a very, very cool guy. Very funny, very dry, very, very, very Winston Salem, Southern dry humor. And I remember, you know, and you think of Let's Active in that, you know, with, with the early first couple of records. I mean, they're they're playing pop playing pop songs you know yeah. 
And I just kind of figured he was like more like us and more of a pop guy. I remember walking into the drive-in studio, it was like 1987, into the drive-in studio and um, no one was in there. Himich wasn't in there, it was just me. And against the wall was a, a massive uh, orange amp cabinet and orange amp head. And a, I guess like a Les Paul sitting there and the amp was on. And I was just kind of looking around, I just had the old look around, you know, and picked up the guitar and just like hit a, just strummed it. And it almost knocked me over. I see, you know, that force of a loud, I just didn't think Mitch was that guy, but it turns out he's that guy as well. You know, he's a rocker. So. <laughs> Well, I had great conversations with him. I mean, I was like, because uh, as being the singer, I mean, I spent, I don't know, a, a good bit of the first day there just sitting next to him and watching everybody else get their stuff set up and whatever. And I mean, I was asking him about Big Star and oh boy, it was just so cool. And he's such a nice guy and so funny. And 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 I love the hands-off producer guy. Yeah. Because it doesn't mean he's not doing anything. He just knows when to say something and you know you know what i mean so yeah but anyways he was so he so you fast forward to four years four years ago and he's got this i mean it's a state-of-the-art it's a beautiful studio and it's and it's built i mean talk about an acoustically engineered building and it's fascinating and so yeah i got to do so sort of re, re, replay that <laughs> that uh scene of you know just kind of sitting next to him in the chair and and asking them stuff talk we, we talked like Pete, we have conversations about like peter chris and <laughs> just just <laughs> never think you'd have that conversation with him it's funny how it all it all it always goes back to hard rock and metal man it keeps circling back to, yeah and the more i think about it um so we, we we did it i guess we just recorded about half maybe close to half the rec just the, the basic tracks at that studio and then spent the rest of the time at a studio in Durham called uh, Overdub Lane with a guy named John Plymall, who was in a band called the Pressure Boys with our drummer, Rob. In 19, like They were the first band I knew of that toured. And this is before I even knew, thought I could sing. <laughs> that was way back. But anyways, um, um, so we would do these. We have a Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday to do some vocals in Durham. Like that's this, that's been the last, you know, three or four years of recording this record. And, and I think the conversations we'd have on the way over was, um, were, um, we have nobody breathing down our neck. There's no record label. There's nobody telling, there's nobody listening to our stuff and saying they don't hear this or hear that. And boy, that, that was really, uh, that was nice. It was nice to be able to do it that way. Cause I said, Mike, man, if there's something you don't hear, we got to fix it because if we don't fix it, I'm going to keep hearing about it. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was a good plan. Yeah. But so, but talking about waiting for a record to come out, we finished, um, we, we mixed and uh, mastered it right around May of what, what year did this all start? 2019, 2020. When did the COVID hit? Oh what yeah. Year? 2020. Okay. That's what I thought. So we, we were finished. And, and then we could, we were like, well, we're not going to do anything until this is over. So here we are, you know, really <laughs> sitting on a record waiting to put it out. And, you know, uh, it was a hell of a lot better than putting it out. I tell you, it seems like. Well, how was your general anxiety level during the COVID time? Um, let's see. You know, um, I don't remember getting too worked up, but I didn't try to push the limits of what we were being told to do so i i stick around here 
Um, my wife, as I told you before, was, I mean, she, she was having a hard time. She'd never done anything like that. She'd just go in the, she goes in the classroom. She's a good teacher. She goes in the classroom and works with the kids. So then you have like the screen with these eight, you know, these uh, eight or nine, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. And she, I think it was more just, it was just so weird for her. But, um, but then like you hear about someone, you know, getting sick and it's like, oh God, you know, and, yeah. uh, I mean, David got, David got COVID. And I, David Connell, and I, and I remember saying to him, like, after a couple of days, like, well, how do you feel? And he's like, I feel all right. I don't feel that bad. <laughs> you know? There's so many different variations of it. George got it, I think, too, but not seriously, you know? Yeah. But I mean, the, the, like, the big, really, ang the real major anxiety was, um, when is this going to be over? You know? I mean, I feel like it's over, but I don't want to get my hopes up. I, mean, I know. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, there's also, if you can imagine, if you were, a band who were relying on your music and your tools, oh yeah right for yeah. commerce i mean to to live oh. you freaked out totally because that's all we did i mean i would go away and and especially when we when we um i don't know how much you know about the 74 75 story but like we were touring in europe repeatedly i mean it was the most touring we'd ever done still i think we did go to six weeks <laughs> on one of those tours and that was Boy, that was hairy. Things were really getting kind of scary towards the end of that one because it's just too long. You know, it, not everybody's made for the, you know, you hear about these Metallica going on tour for a year. It's like, really? Yeah, they did it. But anyways, uh, if we had to deal with something like this during the time that we were doing that, that would have sucked, you know, because, yeah. you know, we got to go play all these shows, all various types of shows all over Europe. We were going to TV shows. We did kids TV shows. I mean, literally, like the, the the Disney, like the Mickey Mouse show in Paris, or or something, or their version of it, all lip sync, you know. And a lot of people, a lot of bands, don't really like to lip sync, but a lot of these TV shows, especially in Europe, they're, they're just not set up. They don't have the production for a, a proper band to come in with their gear. Plus, they don't want to mess with that. So, so, and there's some high notes in seventy four, seventy five, and there'd be some, there'd be a couple of morning shows. And I was like, thank God I'm not having to sing because I'm <laughs> not able to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't yeah. pull the San Francisco thing at CMJ like I did. <laughs> no, I mean, those early, I mean, what, what was easier? It was probably easier jumping into a pool than playing a live oh. show early. Oh, I would, I would jump right? in the pool. Yeah. Um, um I, I i'll be honest with you there maybe half a dozen times when we were told we had as a very important you know everything's the most important get you know show uh, uh that and this radio thing or whatever that would uh be occurring at a god, ungodly hour when you finish coming off the stage at three you know four hours before so i mean i used to just like man i'm, I'm not going to bed i'm not going to do it right because i do I'm going to be so pissed off <laughs> that I have to wake up and go through that whole rigmarole of kind of getting, you know, getting back. That worked. I mean, I never, you know, I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> to everyone, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it was fine. Uh, the trick to lip syncing I found, lip syncing I found was this, just sing along. The microphone's dead. No one can hear you. It looks like you're singing. So I've, I was pretty glad, proud of myself of <laughs> figuring that out, you know. 
I thought it was really cool. I really liked the fact that you guys stayed as long as you did with TBT. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, it was bumpy for sure. Was yeah. it? Is it was oh, it one yeah, of those yeah. things where you signed way too many albums of a deal? Was that what it was? Exactly. I mean, I remember very well. You know, we uh, this is every every band has these stories, but like um, um, and writers, you know, authors. The, the the stack of rejection letters you know the, the <laughs> and they all kind of say the same thing they're like uh although we appreciate blah 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 we do have decided to pass on you know uh you know after a while it got to be like oh you know i just put it in the file um and i remember we heard good things about tbt because they they were you know, the guy who ran it was kind of considered to be kind of a maverick he had you know he made his money to create this label out of the the, the tv tunes I don't know if you know that. Uh, not everybody knows that. He just, you know, he licenses. I, I, I guess he licensed stuff, but maybe a couple of those songs he re, they re-recorded because they couldn't find the original masters. But smart. I mean, they made, they sold those things. Um, and I remember being on the back patio of uh, Mitch Easter's parents' house and signing my, you know, signing uh, uh, my name to a record contract. It was a seven record contract. Wow. It was the only thing that came our way. Now, except for the first album, Darker Days, which was released by Demon Records, the British label, which they're, you know, they're like, this is Elvis Costello is, uh, you know, he's a, uh, a silent partner. And we're like, really? Like we would jump. We were like, you know, the TV movie of our history was would, during that day would have been us running around high-five <laughs> 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 a record contract um but that was cool we never went over I mean, we just had we were lucky to have somebody who would pay for a recording so it was nice but um um but yeah yeah to, to answer your question I mean, mike's a, an attorney <laughs> yeah he, well he was he was a guy who graduated way to law school and passed the bar our manager at the time who met mike and now here this is where it gets really complicated Mike has a twin brother named John, who's not in the band. Sometimes I would say, John, I think you should sing. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're twin brothers. So one's one way and one's the other way. It's, it's hilarious. And they like to get into it. Um, so our manager at that time, Tom had met those guys and he was like fascinated with them. The people in law school in Chapel Hill referred to them as the clash twins because they used to wear the, the clash buttons, you know, and just anglophiles north carolina has a lot of anglophiles for music and um i think he felt tom was like i don't know I mean, this is it this is all we have this is the only you know this 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 uh tbt record company and um so yeah we we signed it i, mean, I, I was like what's the worst thing that could happen and uh we, luckily we'd already made the record the uh, boiling heights we'd already recorded and mixed it with mitch and one of the first decisions that they made well they tried to make was to remix the single, which is called Over There, Over there you, yeah. you think, with the trumpet. And oh God, my memory, I, I don't know how I remember these freaking things, man. The guy, I think one of the people who worked at the label was dating a DJ called, named Ivan Ivan. This is 1987. I, mean, I guess he was a big deal in New York. So he, he, rem <laughs> he remixed, you know, the single for Over There. And boy, man, it was dreadful. It's, it's like, talk about pulling all of the low end and the meat out of what was barely there. It's just a pop song, but like, it sounded like toy instruments. 
really, really hard to listen to. And Mitch Easter's, to his credit, quote was like, yeah, if you guys release it, I'm not, I don't want my name on it. <laughs> wow. I was like, thank you. Yeah. So that was, we, we started off with argument, with argument with those folks from the get-go. Not everything, but a lot of things, you know, and that's typical. And you, as you probably talked to enough people to know that it's not unusual, you know, they no. say film business is the same way, you know. I think, I think even even in academia is the same way. I think that's the, that's the nature of it. But um, do you, you say you teach? I do. Yeah. What do you teach? I teach English. So oh, that's great. Though. You know, that's like cool. like uh, like freshman composition and, and oh, great, 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 and you know, yeah. thing, and things like that. And by the way, you know, it was really cool. Is I I didn't realize how cool it was at the time, but you guys were label mates with the Saints. Yeah, we, we toured with. I didn't know you guys we toured did. together. We did too. Yeah. I mean, I knew who the, the Saints were. You know, hell, they might have been the first punk rock band, if I'm right. not mistaken. Yeah. Right. Chris, right. Chris, uh, Chris, what's his name? Chris Bailey. Yeah. Good songwriter. He's a cool guy. But, um, you know, uh, and it was a, it was an okay mix. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I think it was one of those deals where in some, in some larger, larger um, um, cities, they definitely would draw. And then like, as we were along on the East Coast and maybe smaller cities, we helped, you know what I mean, with that. Because yeah. not, not, not everybody was hip to the Saints, believe it or not. <laughs> but people who really listened to music were. But um, yeah, you know, he, he uh, 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 the more I learned about him and read up and, and, and realized like just how big an impact that guy, that band had, not only in Australia, but everywhere, you know. If I'm not mistaken, no, right? you're right. You're right. The, yeah. the, the, the know your product stuff and the the eternally yeah. yours record. Like, holy cow! I mean, they really were cool. They really were tough. Cool. They were tough. And you know, they didn't. That record they made with TVD wasn't exactly a punk rock record, but you wouldn't you wouldn't want or expect them to do that. You know, you develop your thing. So it was it was rock and roll. It was pretty cool. But yeah, I'm, yeah. They, uh, one of the things that was really cool was they uh, he was adamant about getting uh maybe an early 70s or late maybe early 70s uh old like you know those old greyhound touring buses that had like the the tinted glass at the top oh yeah yeah <laughs> they found uh i think it was the only thing you really kind of like pushed is i really just wanted because you the americana thing you know u.s traveling across the country and so yeah they had a really cool bus a really old cool bus kind of like what neil young had like an old, you know, the, the old Buffalo Springfield bus. And uh, yeah, that's one thing I really remember. And um, I don't know what happened after that because I, I don't know what they did as far as signing goes and if they made, maybe they made another record. We didn't tour with them after that. So but we did have some real squabbles with those guys. Um, and the best thing that ever happened was, you know, uh, boy, man, I'll tell you what, if you bide your time, if you just try to bide your time, some things will work out. Not everything, but some. And we renegotiated that crazy. The contract was out of control. It was like the ones they used to sign. They'd get guys to sign in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, wait a second. You're not the songwriter. I'm the producer. You know, like, you know how, this, how that stuff goes. Um, we didn't have that, but were, the product, the uh, publishing was atrocious. That was, it was absurd. But you know what, man? We didn't care. We, you know? And, you, and that's what everybody says when they sign those contracts. We didn't know. We didn't care. Meanwhile, we got two attorneys in the bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I can't say that. They weren't entertainment lawyers. You know, 
they were, hey tom wasn't in the van but he was our tour manager he wanted to get in the van and go too everybody wanted to go yeah that was it was like the you know the uh, the kerouac lifestyle so well i no relish no relish in the tuna <laughs> no no relish in the tuna. i had a friend who had a band out here in the bay area and they were going to sign with a label out called alias records i don't know if you remember alias. alias. yeah they, had, they actually alias had archers of loaf for, for about a minute oh that's right oh right? another great another great chapel hill another great band. chapel hill yeah. band and yeah. my friend they offered my friend a seven album deal and he was like seven. i don't think i have seven albums in me and so what year he, was this this would have been probably 93 wow that's later like that's uh, that's surprising so they were going to sign a deal and but that was very common back then to sort of handcuff these bands into making oh, yeah. seven albums right and that was a crazy thing to ask yeah well that's what we did i mean i you know i well, I remember, um, uh, you know, I we oh boy, just uh, there's so many beefs, so many wrong ideas, um, and uh, I, no, none of us. We just didn't think we'd be around that long. We didn't think we'd accept. You know, you never nobody does, but we really didn't think it. So we just kind of went along with it. It wasn't like there was a bunch of money at stake and that we're going to owe the record company money. You know that kind of thing. But um, he was smart. He probably did the right thing because, I mean, even bands that I know of who sold a bunch of records because of like one really long recording session or too much tour support, they didn't make any money. Didn't make a dime, right? They, didn't, they, didn't make a, they owe they owe owe money. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny, but it's such a strange business. But the only true. thing that makes us feel better is that as like read read about i love reading about bands histories and, and and seeing documentaries boy everybody got screwed i mean it wasn't the manager i mean ccr is the best probably the, the worst scenario but oh boy man like you're not owning your own songs what the hell you know that kind of stuff so so those guys um yeah i don't know how old the piece was that i saw maybe it was pretty recent or maybe it was just something i just stumbled upon but um they seem like cool guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. You knew who got out of it pretty well was a band called the Jack Rubies. Remember that? Oh, they, they were on TVT. Right. And I think they made one record for TVT. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, they, they were smart. They, they're uh, okay. This is, you're going to love this. You know, they had the uh, uh, horse with no name cover. Um, Steve was the guy's name. And um i mean we probably played some shows i don't think we toured i can't remember so some two three four years after that they did that and toured and everything i see this guy down like there's a port, port of life of five points you know sort of intersection and i look over and i see this guy who looks awfully familiar but i can't place him and he comes up and sees me walks up and he he's the guy from the jack rubies he moved to Raleigh and started a band. Isn't it great? I mean, how crazy is that? And so, yeah, I used to drink with him and, and we'd tell horror stories about TVT. About TVT. And he was a British guy, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think most, well, I don't remember how many guys in the band were British, but he was maybe a couple others. But I just, uh, you know, I thought it was really cool that they, they moved to this area. Um, there are, there's a couple of people I want to talk to. One of them is um, Trent Resmer because they were signed to TVT before we were. We were the, everybody thinks, thinks we were the first, I think they think we were the first band to get signed, but I don't think we were, I think they were. 
So while we were going through all that bullshit, I remember reading articles and interviews with him where he's just running this guy from TVT down. I mean, he hates him. Well, of course, the, it was the was a pretty hate machine, right? Yeah. yeah. I think I think uh, the Gottlieb, uh, the head guy, TVT's quote was, uh, God, it was something like, like, it sounds like vomit or something, some really horrendous. Uh, like he really just gave it to, to, to Trent about the way it sounded, about the way it, uh, the song, I mean, it's a classic record, you know? And that's how, that's the sort of cluelessness we were dealing with. And I mean, when that happened, that was it. And, and this one, I mean, you know what? Um, there's a show on HBO. It's, um, oh God, I always forget everybody's names. The guy who produced Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty, and he runs half the music industry now. Oh, uh, is it Jimmy? Uh, is it Jimmy Ivan. Jimmy Ivan, yeah. And 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 uh, um, 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 N.W.A. Um, um, the producer. Um, oh, Dr. Dre. I, sorry, I should know all this, and I, and I do, and I usually do, but you get me an interview, I'll forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's a show, and of course, I can't remember the name of the show, but it's an HBO thing. You can't miss it, and and they start talking about that whole thing with. Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor. Have you seen it? I've seen it. So do you see the guy who they're talking to with the ponytail from TVT who is who was not going to release ever Trent Reznor from his record deal? And of course, eventually he did. It was just insane. And I and and they're interviewing him. And uh he's this guy was, I mean, I'd love to talk to him now just to be having normal, try to have a normal conversation and say, let bygones be by, you know, cause there's no reason to hang on to that stuff, but he had this way of, of, of really, he had, he had learned how to really put on the pregnant pause. <laughs> you ask somebody a question and they just kind of sit there and you don't know if they heard you or not, you know? Yeah. He does that. He does that in the documentary. You're like, what was it about Steve? Do you think that really, really made him attract all these musicians and get and get uh, Trent Reznor and da, da 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 da? You know, like what is it about it? And 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 the, and Steve Gottlieb said, I mean, it seems like an eternity, especially when it's in a film. You know, it's a, basically a movie. And he finally said, empathy. He could really empathize with people. <laughs> <laughs> Should laugh, but I mean, that was something he would never have said to us. So. Anyways. Well, you know, I mean, I'll tell you something. I, I even think that REM, when they signed their deal with Warner Brothers, oh. it was for too many records. It was eighty million dollars. It was eighty million dollars. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's mean, that. There's now that. There's, yeah. You might think you might want to. You might go ahead and try to make the. <laughs> make that. But uh, that was the, that was the biggest deal. I remember that very well. That was a big deal, um, obviously. But I mean, who who else deserves it more than them? Those guys write great songs, and they continue to do it, and they continue yeah. to do exactly things exactly the way they wanted to. I mean, the, the, of all the things I'm most impressed about with those guys is the fact that they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to tour." <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, can you imagine the guys at Warner Brothers like, "You're going to what?" Yeah, we just made this record. We, we toured. We've already we toured. We'll be touring again. Some other record. Of course, that was the hit record. That was the uh, the um, um, oh, well, now I forgot the name of the song. Uh, um, was it, was it uh, Losing My Religion? Losing yeah, my religion. Uh, right, right, right. They didn't like so cool. How cool was it that you make a record and sit at home and watch it go straight to the t and, and bump Michael Jackson? Off the right. 
after so years cool. of, no they they were I and mean, you're right they did deserve it 100 but boy that was i remember thinking that is a records. lot of records oh no they had to yeah i mean they didn't well i mean you know and then bill barry quit i mean he probably said i'm this is crazy or you know of course he had the issue with he had an aneurysm on tour i mean yeah i could see why he was but um yeah, um, the guy who used to manage them is a guy named Jefferson Holt, and he lives in Chapel Hill. He's a funny guy. I never would ever dream of asking him about any of that stuff, but you know, I could see where um, that got to be insane after a while. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's one thing to sit around at home or to get together with your buddies and write try to write some songs. Another thing is like we've got to write this album for our sixth whatever record you know and we had to do it very soon and i remember reading articles and interviews with stipe and he's like i didn't have any lyric you know i didn't have my lyrics yet you know i was like that's a lot to be and it is unfortunately that money thing hanging over people's heads and i'm glad that they did what they did i, I think this guy's kind of figured like if there's a if there's somebody to look at as far as like if you want to do this get into this business and do it the way you want to do it they did that they did it they did it and, and not many people pull it off like that no yes. and you're right because i interviewed miles copeland and oh, yeah 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 right? okay and i was asking him i was like man the rem chapter is really thin i would have thought in your book it would have been a much bigger chapter and he was like right. they did everything that they said they were going to do they kept their yeah. word they didn't bother yeah. anybody they yeah. did everything they kept their heads down and they and they and they kept their word yeah. Right. And he said he he in retrospect he said I have a real appreciation for them that I didn't have back then. That well, yeah, were, people I didn't realize until later what was going on. Yeah. You know, Miles is, that. is the IRS guy, right? Yeah. And then the brother who the brother who did uh, 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 FBI, the booking agency, is Ian. Now we we were booked by FBI. I think we're still booked by FBI. Wow. But, yeah, but they're not. They're called uh, PGA now. Yeah, and Ian's gone. I know Ian's no longer alive. He passed away. But one night after we played at a show, uh, played a show in Los Angeles. Of course, this is another one of these 15, 20 years ago things. Um, we we went to we uh, I don't know. We, you, hey guys, we're going to this house. We're going to go to a party, okay, or whatever. So we, we we go to this house in the Hollywood Hills. It's a beautiful house. It's it's uh, it's Ian's house. Ian's or Miles? It, I don't know. I think it was Ian's house. I don't think Miles is there. A lab, you know, like what you think of a house in Hollywood to be like drum kit, amps. You know what I mean? Like it was a playhouse and it was previously owned by Ben Vereen. Ben Vereen. I'll never forget that. that. That was my, that was really my like, okay, this is a rock. This is like, this is the show business. I'm in a show business house. So I got to experience that. But yeah, what a cool thing. The three brothers, the drummer, the record label guy and the booking agent you know yeah brilliant brilliant so they were they they are it's quite a success story um oh oh without a doubt and, and a i doubt. remember uh, the main the guy who booked he's kind of semi-retired now his name's buck williams he's from oxford north carolina um he booked all his rem tours he well, i mean a lot of people did but he, he was the kind of the main guy and Man, I, I mean, I remember like during that when after the police had broken up, um, somebody was asking me, he's like, I just wish they'd get back together. Because <laughs> I mean, can you imagine how much money oh my this guy's making? And uh, uh, um, oh, anyways, uh, just some of the stuff, it's you know, picking that guy's brain. Whew. 
it was interesting. It was, no, it was really, really interesting. Um, yeah. I, I learned a lot by just by reading his book and chatting with him. And if you like reading yes. rock and roll books, I, I would recommend I it for sure. Um, I, I kind of think of what you guys are doing now is I remember hearing an interview with Charles Grodin years ago where he was saying like, I'll do anything as long as it's 15 minutes from my house in Connecticut. Uh, I'm not leaving. So I think oh, the Connells are doing sort of the Grodin principle where like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remember that. That's really good. <laughs> But we're going to do something insane. We're going to go play a show in New York. What? <laughs> yeah, we are. We're going to, I mean, everybody keeps telling, everybody who I know who knows about us putting out a record goes, keeps saying to me, good luck on the tour. I'm like, we're not going on tour, man. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to go play some shows. Yeah, it's funny how they assume it's going to be, I'm going to be doing that. But Charles Grodin, yeah, he's a North Carolina guy as well. That's right. I forgot yeah, about yeah. that. He is, about he that. Is, but there, he's great yeah he was a great yeah. but there is something about like you were saying you know traveling together especially at this age it's like you oh. know going on the road makes no sense i mean if you know i remember like kind of like sort of wincing and bitching to me like oh look at these guys they really got a cushy but i mean you know you're getting into your 50s or whatever it's like i'll take cushy because <laughs> I mean, for a proper tour, like a long winding, you know, winding tour. Um, but uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm intrigued by how many, how many different, I remember you 2 I don't remember when it was a few, one of the records from a few years ago where they were playing like these stadiums, play one in Raleigh. Um, they would just like have a hub, like Washington DC was where they lived. And they would just, they, these guys were flying everywhere. And, you know, but they could, they could afford it. And plus, you know, they're on tour. So, you know, if they want to right. do it right, play, put on a good show. But um, um, then the flip side is like going down to the, the club called the Brewery in Raleigh, where I got to see Alex Chilton play with this, you know, with his bass player and one drummer. And I was like, he slept on a friend's, on one of my friend's couches. <laughs> and this wasn't that long ago. But I mean, that's a guy, you know, of course, he played a great version of Valare that night, as I recall. <laughs> I uh, love Alex. Uh, another one that's gone. What a funny guy. Another f hilarious Southern. Oh, um, um, did you see the big star? Oh, yeah. Out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't. Well, I, I, I start tearing up every time. It's so sad at the end. What a, what a weird dynamic, right? Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And it sounds like you, you, know? you knew about Big Star in real time. Like a lot of us came to it later. Yeah, I was still late. I mean, this is like the late 80s and they were together in the 70s. The guys who, uh, I don't think anybody would ever um, contest this. Chris Stamey, probably the first guy and the, guy, and, you know, the guys in the DVs, Mitch, those guys would, whenever, like in the summertime, when they're in high school and they would like have time, you know, weren't in school, they'd take road trips to Memphis and go find children. And, and, and actually, if you don't mind, I'll tell you this. This is one of the stories that Mitch told me. They got in the, they drove down from, you know, it's a pretty, pretty good hike from Winston-Salem to Memphis. You know, most people are going to see Graceland. They're going to find these guys that nobody knows, but but very great songs so they went and found Chilton I guess at his house 
And he was nice. And they just wanted, just wanted to meet you, man. You know, it's like, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, he was cordial and funny. And, and they got ready to, I think it was him. And I think it was, I think it was Mitch and Pulsap. And um, they, before they left, they said, hey, where's, where's Chris Bell? He's like, uh, he's around. I think he's working at his parents' restaurant. He worked at like a, his parents had a chain of um, barbecue restaurants in Memphis. So he, Mitch, I mean, uh, uh, um, Alex told them where to go. So they found the restaurant. <laughs> they walked in, the two of them, go over to the counter. The guys, you know, whoever's working is like, what do you want? And we're like, we're not going to eat, but we're here to see Chris Bell. Chris, oh yeah, he's in the back. So Chris Bell comes walking out from the back, you know, the kitchen with like a dirty apron, like a hairnet, you know. Hey, what's up? What can I help you with? Hey, we were just talking to Alex for with the sound. We have a band, blah, blah, blah. We're really big fans of Big Star and blah, blah, blah. And he told us that you might be here because we wanted to meet you. We really love your music. You know, all the normal stuff. And Chris Bell was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bit, he got, he was a bitter guy. But I mean, can you imagine? Like, that was his response, you know? And he, I mean, I, oh God, I love, uh, every night I tell myself I am the cosmos. Come on. I know. Song. You know, because of REM, a lot of us got into Big Star and the Velvet Underground. But those they were, were very, they were responsible for a lot of it. I mean, they they were very responsible for a lot of that. So yeah, that's very accurate. And and the Velvets too. You're right. Yeah. And the yeah. Velvets. But I got to say, the fact that that you know that Chris and Peter and Mitch knew about the about Big Star, you know, yeah. in real time, is really impressive. It, it is. And you remember, I guess you remember the, the scene in the um, documentary, Chris Bell's talking about like at the intersection he was at when he heard <laughs> when he heard that whatever song, I forget what song it was on the radio in Winston-Salem. And, you know, it, 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 and some of those tracks are like, what is this? You know, when you first hear it, you know, um, Chris Stamey ended up living in New York and playing with children. That's right. probably the movie, too. I keep forgetting but I am fascinated with that band. And then when that movie came out and, 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 and we used to, we have some friends um, from Chapel Hill that are, were called the Mayflies, the Mayflies USA. They had I love the Mayflies. Song. You know, them. oh great, I'll tell yeah, they, they have the, They have a song that is one of the greatest pop songs, uh, Down With Peter Green. I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, that's my favorite. I get oh chills. Oh my God. Matt McMichaels, I'm friends with Matt and we've, and we've we've done some musical stuff together oh. you know cut, like playing covers and stuff but i remember hearing about them and then um um lo and I, mean, I knew they lived around here and lo and behold next thing i know like we we played a lot we did a lot of shows not proper tours but a lot of like you know long weekends where they came with us every time i mean there's just there's nothing better than having your friends who have a great band you get to watch them before you play you know and um Oh man, I mean, I have so many, and those guys are funny. They're very, they're one of those few bands, at least at that time, and for most of the time, not unlike the replacements, that like that's that's a unit, man. That's four people that's like they're all doing the same thing, you know, it's, you know, like except for the drummer and Mayflies, like, you know, whatever drug, you know, they're all doing the same one, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, you know, it, it, which I think I have a lot of, uh, I admire that. I admire that, you know, like they're able to do that. But boy, were they good. And, and, and Matt's a really good songwriter and he has a band called Surrender Human. Mm. Surrender Human, look it up. And they're, they're playing with us. Uh, so yeah, 
Oh man, do I like those guys? I'm so glad you know of them and 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 and, and have heard. Yeah, yeah. Peter Green, them. Peter Green is a song that uh, I just like. I'll just sometimes I don't even bother to listen to it because I know it in my head. I just listen, let it go over in my head. They used to do a thing in that song live where they at the breakdown where it goes da 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 da, you know, and they all would chug a beer. Because <laughs> McMichael's was a big replacements fan, but he was like your age i think so at 15 i re we realized that he was him and i had gone to see some of the same shows in like charlotte or wherever of course we didn't know each other but we, you know and i love when that happens you know it's like uh wait a second did you you live near Asheville? did you go to the show and he's like yeah i was like i was there yeah you know, <laughs> i never would have met it yeah you know, i just that that's the great thing about music is those kind well, of stories I love that band. He, he, great singer, great songs. They're all great singers. They're all great. They're, they're all songwriters. They're, it's yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 They're, really, they're really, really great. And by the way, Chris was, Chris Tamey was on the podcast. I got him to do the podcast. He doesn't. When was that? That was probably about two years ago. Oh, I'll, I'll let, I'll let him know I was talking to you because uh, he, he's another one. He's another one. We, we did a, a he did one of those big star, big stars third concerts, you know, where a bunch of people come in and, um, you know what I'm talking about perform the big oh, yeah. songs, and um, Jody Stevens plays drums on every song. <laughs> like poor guy who needs a break. Uh, and one of my all-time favorite Big Star songs is the song Odena. Mm. And I remember tech, uh, emailing with Chris about like rehearsal and blah blah blah. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna just like with Mitch, I'm gonna ask some questions. <laughs> And he explained to me about that song. I mean, some of the lyrics to that song was written by, like, were written by Alex's uh, girlfriend. It was just things he'd, she'd say, just things she'd say at the bar. And then, you know, and there really was the sisters, the sister lovers. They, she, you know what I mean? They, all that stuff is real. And I was like, "Are you serious?" He's like, "Yeah, man. She, you know, this is what Alex said. You know, he'd write down things that she said. So, you know, I'd rather shoot a woman than a man." <laughs> 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 one, of the great, one of the greatest opening lines of any song that's a good one yeah and by the way chris chris was an incredibly nice guy he's super nice he is um um i can't imagine him angry i certainly haven't seen him that way before he's a really genuinely nice guy and he's soft-spoken yeah um, genial funny really smart he's got a nice studio and guess who worked in the studio uh, with him, my, Matt McMichaels from the Mayflies. There you go. It all comes You're full really circle. You're a really scene uh, down here, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make me think that you have a lot of friendships that have endured in this industry. Yeah, we do, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of, and 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 and, and playing music with some um, other, all these. There's a lot of people who play music, so you know, you can get together and start talking about music. Next thing you know, it's like, well, let's. I, I had a band with a woman named Dana Kletter who was in uh, the Black Girls and she was in a band called Dish. And, and I mean, there's, uh, I, I don't get me started, but like one night, many years ago, we started talking about Burt Bacharach. Talking about the soundtrack to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, hmm. which is really not a soundtrack. There's really not much score in it. There's like raindrops who falling on my head and a couple other songs. <clears throat> we started a band and we recorded a bunch of, we played and recorded a bunch of Bacharach songs. We played downtown, Georgie, George, but not like goof, no goof. It was like, it was, we had fun, but like straight, stripped down versions. She's a great singer. So that, there was that. But um, I mean, how lucky was I to do that? You know, I mean, how lucky am I? 
to, to be able to do that with a friend with friends too so and Incredible. plus I, yeah and plus i don't have to like try to learn how to sing scales in my in, the, in some room to <laughs> to keep my chops because i'm i'm not gonna i don't think i'm gonna be doing that it's pretty lazy it's better to go play yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of uh and that is the quote i stole that quote it was you remember when the sat it was a sassy magazine oh yeah they really covered a lot of the music scenes and and, and uh, i mean maybe we didn't make the cut for sassy but i think 17 magazine came to 17 oh yeah <laughs> which i thought was awesome and they came took a bunch of pictures of, of all the different bands and interviewed everybody and uh i remember uh, maybe i was with Daniel when we were talking to this woman and talking about all the different things that people do you know various musical projects you know and some of them are s somewhat serious but mostly just to do it and she goes this is the most incestuous music scene i have ever seen <laughs> <laughs> like really thank you <laughs> hey at least you have one still i mean we you know san yes. francisco we used to have a great scene and we don't have one anymore um i'm no a big american music club mark eitzel fan oh my god him. yeah he's just, one of the most amazing ever in my book yeah and they cranked out you know like restless stranger engine yeah. um yeah. you know it just kept going um great record great record uh, you know um the one with fire oh california is a great record mercury Mercury. Mercury came and then there was Everclear and uh, they were, by the way, they were on Alias, oddly enough. See now, okay, that's where I've heard of it. I knew I'd heard that. There was Red House Painters maybe on there too? Uh, like I don't think so, but, but they were in, but American Music Club did, I think they did um, Everclear. Yeah. Right? Right, you're right, you're right. I, I just remember seeing their catalog somewhere just to see like what some of the, because there's some early stuff I'm not that familiar with. And I and I that that's it. But there's other bands I know of that that alias name pops up. It, I mean, they must have signed a good number of bands. I'm sure that, that I might even you know what I might even be wrong about that. Now that I think about it, well, I, you know, maybe, or maybe they picked something up and released it later. I don't know. That does. Yeah, I think. Like yeah, I think because I know they did the Everclear record because uh, they were on a they were on an indie label out here. But anyway, they they were, that was a great band, right? Like that was. You got you have no. I mean, I'm not gonna say you have no idea because you do know, but like his voice jesus christ man oh my god no it was aliens okay i just I'm getting checked. choked it was up thinking, just getting choked up thinking about it. unbelievable and um a couple of times he's one of those guys that i would love to sit down and talk with but i'm too scared you know i don't know why i shouldn't be i should probably just talk to him but anyways we played at the cat's cradle this is going back this was probably for the uh what were they on sire eventually eventually they signed i think to like um they Somebody signed a, a, yeah. they signed a bit to warner maybe it was a big it was a big deal i lay all my songs at uh, johnny matt's feet period yeah um the early 90s god some of those songs. anyways they played and uh um i mean those guys are funny because they've been playing together forever and mark was definitely getting a load on which i know is not unusual but he was so funny he was so funny and and uh, he came, I think he came out and did a, a song or two by himself. And then they wanted they, everybody wanted them to keep playing, obviously. And the I think it was the bass player got on the microphone and said, "He's drunk on beer. He's <laughs> we're not going to play anymore." <laughs> and which I thought was funny. 
And I remember like, you know, sort of standing back, you know, where the sort of the, the peripheral, the, where the crowd sort of dissipates into the back of the club. And he came walking out with like a towel. He was toweled off and with a manager and walking by. And I looked at him and I said, hey, man. He goes, hey. And I said, you were really good with the audience tonight. <laughs> I started psyched. I got to say something. And he said, thank you. It was just like, I, that was, that's what I could, the only thing I could think of. And so that's what I came up with. Well, then, and then you're going to, I don't know, this is, not, some people might think this is not the greatest thing, but I, I was glad to see him. You know, the people do these house parties where they were doing them before the pandemic, but do you guys have that a scene of places where people have gigs and houses? Absolutely. He did that. He did one of those tours and he came to Raleigh. He came to Raleigh and played a house that was no more than a half a mile from where I grew up, which is so in my junior high school where I had the radio station WCJ. <laughs> anyway, so a friend of mine and I went, I've never been to one of these things, man. And I'm thinking like, wow, wow this is Mark Heitzel. What, you know? And, and uh, uh, he's acoustic guitar. I mean, he's so funny. He's very, you know, he's very witty and quick on his feet. And, um, and also can make you feel uncomfortable if he, <laughs> if he wants. Yeah. And after the show, I just bought a poster and just said, thank you. And he's kind of looking at me. You know, it was one of those, like, this guy looks familiar. You know, one of those, not from the, cat's cradle but maybe he'd you know they were signed to uh merge for a while i mean he released records on mac mccallan's label right but i couldn't i couldn't get into like the you know i just want to start going into all the stuff that i love and and i saw you here and because i mean there's nothing wrong with that but i'm i i wouldn't start driving crazy he (laughs) He was was great he was pissed because uh, merged, none of the guys from the, the label came. Now, I don't know what happened. He, I, I don't know if they were out of town. You know, it could be anything. But he did say, no, I tried to call them, you know. And I felt like, oh, shit, I shouldn't ask about that. <laughs> what, what a, a wild, wildly talented guy. Oh, he's he's unbelievable. And he so they did the Everclear record came out on Alias, but they only did one record with Alias. Then they went. Is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you know, the best story I ever heard about him. It's the coolest. I don't know if you know it, but he. Was oh, I don't care if I know it or not. I want to hear it. Okay. Here's the story. They were playing a place here in San Francisco. I think it was either the I Beam or the Hotel Utah. I played and, the I Beam. Yeah. Okay, you played the I Beam. So. Yeah. He literally played the song, a song, and he was so it was so emotional for him. Right. He got off the stage and just walked out the door. Yeah, I believe that. I yeah. definitely believe that. He was probably weeping. He was probably weeping, right? You yeah. think he was that emotionally? And you know, one thing I've learned, and I'm not any. I don't have any. I mean, I'm. I'm. I, I'm levels below that guy. But there's one thing you can't. You can't do. You can't cry and sing at the same time because <laughs> you can't breathe so you gotta be really careful on those songs that's probably why he walked out <laughs> you yeah, know what song was, it was i don't know but i think it was on it's in the liner notes for the um for the live record he did the live, <sighs> right i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna look it up yeah because oh, that record man. that record is a, is a and do you have that one the the acoustic one you know i don't um i only had like the i have two of his solo records the 40 watt silver lining and another one uh by the way i gotta come full circle did you when you went back to college did you get the degree that you were in oh, to get the first oh, time oh man what a crazy 
Yeah, I mean, part of it was, um, you want to talk about, you were talking about transitioning from swimming to playing music. The big transition was going from music to working at a call center credit union. <laughs> but actually, yeah, uh, it was a, it's, a, it's the second largest credit union in the world, North Carolina State Employees Credit Union, uh, behind the Naval Credit Union. Anyways, credit unions are cool because they help out people who really need help, and they don't play, they don't try to. There's not a lot. There's no hidden fees. Like I could, I drank the Kool Aid, man. <laughs> Worked there for a while, but anyways, um, um. So yeah, yeah, that was one of the things. It was like, well, if you want to move up here we recommend you get your degree. So that was one of the things. And I mean, I didn't see myself moving up anywhere. I didn't know what the fuck I was. I didn't probably shouldn't have worked there. To be honest with you. <laughs> I was pretty good with like corresponding online with the, with the, what they call, they weren't, weren't customers or members. Cause you know, I mean, I, I, I can sense that somebody needs, you know, you can see, look at their bank account and see what's going on and what happened. But anyways, so uh, that was one of the few things that got me going. And so it took a little while. It took longer than it should have, but I had a period of uh, some illness. I had, I had, I'm just going to, I was 43 and I had prostate cancer. <laughs> I was like, mm. who, who's, who the fuck has prostate cancer at 43? A guy who spent too many nights in bars is on tour. Is <laughs> but anyway, so that kind of put a stop to it for a while. And then I went back and I think I was telling you before that, um, uh, you know, North Carolina, the University of North Carolina system, university system has there's many uh, uh i guess they're called technical schools or technical institutes um they're two-year programs right and they're all over the place they're all over the state and they're uh, i need a, this one there's a class it was like racism in media or or, or something like that or or, or uh, writing for writing for media and racism and it, that was the gist and boy i mean every place i looked at um in the system to take that class either it was either filled up or they didn't offer it and i found a school in um whiteville north carolina called southeastern north carolina technical school and they offered that class online and those classes were interesting because it was all like forums you know it wasn't it wasn't this obviously um and or posting things and I, a lot of times I, I i was lucky because i had stories i could tell that somehow would be involved with what we were talking about from traveling and i was 20 30 years older than everybody i was the old guy and after about two or three days the instructor who again was probably you know close to my close to uh, 20 25 text emailed me or texted me and said are you in the connells <laughs> <laughs> i said yep <laughs> awesome we saw you at the mat you know like it was one of those it was incredible that was the only time that ever happened but um like there's uh, so yeah long story short i did eventually get i did take me while i eventually did get the uh get the degree and the cool thing about that was i went to graduation and my my kids at the time were you know five and eight and so they were watched they watched me graduate and it was cool because sometimes I'd have homework when they had homework, you know. Yeah, so that was cool. That was cool. But I mean, and and honestly, if I if I were to do, if I had to do it again, I probably would because, like you were saying before, if you have a really you know, a slammed a slamming uh, slam packed uh, schedule, it's hard to waver. You know, it's hard to wander off. You just stick with your schedule and get some stuff done. Oh yeah. So yeah, I I, I got to do that. 
I mean, I, I didn't think I'd get to the graduation, you know, with the cap and gown. I didn't expect that. So that was pretty cool. That was fun. Dude, I appreciate you taking so much time to talk to me. You're very nice to do that. No, likewise, man. I, I, I just like the fact that um, I, I don't think I've ever spoken even to another musician either or, or, or to someone who's in, uh, interviewing about being an athlete. Uh, you know, it's just something that people don't talk about. You know, it's like, some people who are athletes and became musicians don't, you know, they try to hide it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it's but who say, we are, though, man. Jock. We don't wear jocks in the swimming pool, so I'm not a jock. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you a guy who didn't hide it is Mills Lofgren, who was a oh, gymnast. Right? He right. would do those flips in the air, right? He would oh, do it. Amazing. Man, from one uh, college athlete to another, I appreciate <laughs> your, your time, my friend. Thank you, Hapsi. chat doug mcmillan what a great guy the connells uh that conversation i think we hit everything what did we miss i mean everything was there right everything you wanted was in that chat i think the only thing you need now is the new connells album go to the connells.com and pick up stedman's wake i love it you're gonna love it and uh it's just easily one of my favorite albums of the year when the connells make a record i'm always happy and you will be too. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can also just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Or you can do all three. Why not? Sometimes it's fun to do a digital hat trick. A reminder that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. We're now on Audible and Amazon. Those are our two latest conquests. If you can think of a platform we're not on, let us know, and we'll muscle our way in. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Really Great by the Connells. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Radio.